Welcome to the Zucchini Warriors, a Gordon Corman podcast. We are your hosts, Asher and Shira. And that's it. <laughs> that's our show. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Beware of the fish. <laughs> All right, we're shaking off the rust here. <laughs> it's been a while, it's been a few months. So, thank you for. Um, being patient with us. We wanted to really put a full stop on season one and now we're ready for season two. Season two. I'm pretty excited. I know we have a lot of uh, great books lined up, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't miss McDonald Hall a little bit. I miss Bruno and Boots a lot <laughs> and uh, the colorful cast that go yeah. with them. Uh, but it is nice to get some fresh characters and different settings. And as you said, there are a lot of good books now that we'll be covering in season two. Uh, and I think there'll be some books that we're less familiar with as well. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, including some never before reads by either of us. That's true. Although as the foremost Corman experts on the internet, we should not probably admit that. So. Oh, just keeping it 100. <laughs> <laughs> but the book we're talking about today, I Want to mm -hmm. Go Home, mm -hmm. certainly does not fit in the category of books we're not too familiar with. No. Uh, I just posted a tweet with a picture of the book that we have that is broken in two and completely destroyed. <laughs> the pages are like curled up within itself. And it's very clear that this was one of our most read books um, of our childhood for sure. Yeah, it's like a lot of our Corman books missing. It's front cover, back cover, like pages are torn. Not not due to negligence, but due to just sheer amount of pages being turned over the years. Yeah, it looks like something, it looks like a book that was discovered from like a shipwreck 200 mm. years ago that they like dug out. And like, this is the only thing that survived. And it's just the copy of <laughs> I Want to Go Home. It really is, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to nice, hold in your hands. Nice tie into another Gordon Corman title, Shipwreck. Ah, uh, yes, a book we will not be covering. No, right <laughs> certainly <but> not. <laughs> ne nevertheless. Um, so season two is here. So, yeah, happy to have everyone back for more. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Looking forward to talking about I Want to Go Home today. That's right. But before we do, we have some very exciting developments. We, as you guys know, last um, episode, we announced the launch of our GoFundMe and um, announced the various levels of rewards um, that we can provide for your generous donations. And with that being said, we have... Three people we would like to welcome to the committee. And the first come as a set, Miriam and Jakob Hutman. Your dad tells us that you guys are huge fans of Gordon Corman and of the podcast. And we are so grateful that you listen and that you love it. And because you're our first members of the committee and because you're such big fans, we are going to give you guys plum committee assignments. So no lines department for you. <laughs> no, I'll leave that to Mark Davies. You're uh, you're yeah. much more important than going to the lines committee. Maybe uh, help out Wilbur on the mm -hmm. security detail. Yeah. Or, uh, we'll, yeah. But thank you so much for listening. Always nice to have 
the next generation of Corman fans. So we appreciate your support. That's right. Who else do we have, Ash? I'd also like to welcome Keith Teklitz to the committee. Uh, Keith is one of our loyal listeners and uh, followers on Twitter. He engages with us very often and we appreciate it. Uh, and we appreciate the support on the GoFundMe. So thank you, Keith. Welcome to, to the committee. Yeah, thanks, Keith. Maybe we'll put you with like the um, on the balloon duty, you know, when the guys are like making that balloon that's meant to look like Wizzle. Oh, yeah. I think Keith would be good at that. I think Keith might might be, do well with that. And Mary Minyakov on security. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for your generous donations. Again, this is um, just helping to support the podcast. Hopefully you can hear that Asher sound slightly better than he usually does. We are currently borrowing a microphone um, to achieve this level of superior audio quality. But um, we are just a handful of committee members away from being able to afford our own microphone. And that is our first goal for the GoFundMe. And in addition, last thing we'll say, we have some members of the coalition as well. And if you join the coalition, in addition to a shout out, you get to ask a question. We're going to get to those questions in our Room 306 segment. Yeah, so a really good uh, question. So we'll thank them properly when we get to there. But nice to have some coalition members aboard as well as our committee members. So thank you. And uh, if you're feeling like you want to help us out to make me sound better, then please feel free to support the GoFundMe and we will make it worth your while. (laughs) That's right. So the link to the GoFundMe is on the Twitter and Ashley, I know we're both in our homes, but I think it's time because I want to go home. Oh yeah. (laughs) I I want to go home exclamation mark. (laughs) Let's, let's dive into that. Shall we? Let's do it. Time now for Sydney Ramplotsky, where we give a plot summary of the book. Sid, 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 Nee, 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 Ramplotsky. Okay, that's fine. All right, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for <laughs> your encouragement. <laughs> what a glowing response that was. Yeah, I think uh, I will echo the listeners in them thinking that was fine. Um, so I'm going to kick us off here talking about the plot of I Want to Go Home so we open up on a picture perfect day at Camp Algonquian Island it is the first day of the summer Um, so I looked up if Algonquian Island is a real place I was just curious Mm -hmm. so it's not but, well, it's not really, but there is an Algonquian Regional Park in Virginia. Which, but I don't imagine that's what he had in mind. I assume he was just doing a play on Algonquin, yeah. which is a uh, you know, big uh, park in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, a provincial park or national park. Uh, but yeah, so Camp Algonquian Island is the setting of the book. Great research. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the book, yeah, it starts with the camp director, Elias Warden. And he's reading a letter from Rudy Miller's, Rudy Miller's parents. Small correction. I feel like the camp director's name is Arthur Warden and his ancestor is Elias Warden. Hugely correct. That is so embarrassing (laughs) right off the bat. (laughs) That is, that is very true. Um, he seems like the type that would be like 
Elias the Third, though. I'm surprised that he doesn't totally have the agree. Same name. Arthur's probably his middle name, and yeah. he just like goes by Arthur. So don't even <laughs> yeah. worry about it. I appreciate that. Thank you. Wow, <laughs> terrible start. Okay, <laughs> so he's reading uh, the word. These let's just call him Mr. Warden, Good. shall we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's reading a letter sent from Rudy Miller's parents saying, just warning that him about uh, their son, Rudy, who is coming to camp. He doesn't want to go to camp, and so he might be a bit difficult. Uh, but Warden dismisses it, saying, all boys love camp. and uh, All cats love meat, and all boys love <laughs> camp is the quote. <laughs> <laughs> Warden actually has some really good lines, yeah. including that one. Yeah. Uh, so he... So the head counselor, Frank, comes in, asks if there's any last-minute issues he should know about. Warden throws the letter in the garbage and, and like immediately forgets about it and says, nope, just routine, nothing, uh, nothing of note, and they carry on. So then we cut to Rudy Miller arriving at camp. Uh, immediately, it's very clear that he does not want to be there. He tries to not get off the boat that's uh, dropped him off. He's greeted by Dave, who is a count the swim counselor. And he asks Rudy what level he is at swimming. Rudy says he doesn't swim. Then Rudy meets Chip, who's the cabin 13 counselor. Cabin 13 is what Rudy has been assigned to. And Rudy thinks that they're all clones because they're just identical and kind of look the same, have the same vibe. <laughs> uh, so Rudy gets to the cabin and he picks a bed in like the furthest corner possible. And he hides the sheets so that he's totally covered and puts up a do not disturb sign. Uh, at this point, Mike Webster arrives, and it's clear that he also hates camp. And we find out that he, you know, hates sports. And his parents sent him there because, as a reward for good grades, even though obviously Mike doesn't think of it as a reward. Um, so when he gets there, the only bunk left is the bed above Rudy, uh, and obviously his sheets are gone because Rudy has taken them. Uh, at that point, Harold Green, another boy in the. <laughs> Now, there might be an argument that Harold Green is not as bad as you think. I might try and make that argument. I haven't decided yet. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Part of me thinks, I don't know, we'll see, we'll see. But Harold Green at that point calls Rudy a nut, mm. uh, which is one of my favorite insults and one I use in my daily life <laughs> all the time. So, and I guess it, I don't know if it came from here or not, but it's a great insult. And yeah, there's a lot of nut calling throughout the book. Mm -hmm. So. Anyway, pretty quick, Cabin 13 goes to play baseball, and they lose 37 nothing. They all suck at baseball. Um, and Rudy refuses to go. He just lies on his bed listening to his Walkman. Uh, then later at dinner, I think it is, or at a meal of some kind, uh, Rudy and Mike are sitting next to each other. Mike says hi, but Rudy kind of ignores him or doesn't really engage uh, too much. Rudy refuses to eat. He puts his beef stew on Mike's plate. Chip tells him to leave uh, the mess hall. Harold calls him a nut again. Uh, then that first night at Lights Out, Mike starts playing the guitar he brought, but Rudy gives him the business about it. Uh, doesn't really like how it sounds. Uh, so that's night one. So the first day, you know, Rudy hates camp, basically, is the point they're trying to get across. Uh, then that morning, they do that little trumpet sound, you know, doo -doo -doo. Yeah. You know, you know how it goes. Re Reveille? Yeah, I didn't know how to pronounce it, so I didn't want to say it. I didn't know if any of those letters were silent or yeah, not. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure that I nailed it, but... Uh, you Maybe. I, like, part of me thinks it might be something crazy like Reve, and just, like, a lot mm. of it is just silent letters, but it could... I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, Not the only French word we all come across. <laughs> yeah, today. exactly. Exactly. Full disclosure, or maybe now is not the right time to talk about it, but uh, we never went to camp, like overnight camp. So a lot of these terms, at least for me, and things that happen are like not really anything I relate to. Uh, I went to a couple like sports camps, like day camp, but never overnight. So the trumpet thing is not something I ever dealt with. So I just didn't bother to learn how you pronounce it. I feel like that's not a thing specific to camp, but I like that you associate it only with camp. It's like that in, you know, the army and stuff. Right. And it's to just be clear, neither like... of us have ever been in the army. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> For exactly. similar reasons to why we never went to sleep away camp. <laughs> <laughs> we just wanted to avoid having to say that word at all costs. Yeah, so. that and sleeping in bunks. We weren't doing either of those things. No, definitely not. But anyway, when the trumpet sound goes, Rudy wakes up and smashes his head on Mike's bunk which causes Mike to fall out from the top bunk uh, onto the floor, which is pretty funny. <laughs> Rudy calls Algonquian Alcatraz, and uh, then that's something he'll be kind of repeating throughout the book. Mike and Rudy agree to sort of a truce as they're brushing their teeth, and then Chip tells them at breakfast they have relay races after Warden's speech to the uh, camp. Rudy says he doesn't run, and that's also a common refrain. He says, refrain, he says, I don't blank, I don't blank, I don't run, I don't swim, I don't play baseball, etc. Harold says something mean about Rudy, and Rudy pours his breakfast tray into Harold's lap. And then Chip gives Rudy two days' work detail for doing that. Mm -hmm. A rocky start for everyone. Yeah. Um, all right, so then it's time for the big welcome speech from Warden, um, and Rudy keeps making jokes under his breath, and Mike keeps uh, laughing. Ashy would I like wrote to a, I wrote again, Elias Warden. Uh, Why, can't be right. I agree. I don't <laughs> think it's right. Why do I write it so many times? Um, couldn't say. Okay. Continue. All right. <laughs> um, so there's this that general theme, like during the camp director's speeches, Rudy makes jokes and Mike just like can't stop laughing, which I really love for Mike. Like I love that that is a character trait of his and one I definitely identify with. Anyway, so Chip gives Mike work detail also. And there's this like general joke about Warden that he's always talking about the founder of the camp, his grandfather, Elias Warden the first, I guess, according to Ashy. <laughs> Um, also that he has really skinny legs and he's always wearing shorts and his legs are kind of like, like he's a bit bow-legged, I guess. Yeah, I believe so. Um, so, so that's just like a general refrain as well. Anytime there's a speech, Rudy's making jokes about how the camp director looks slash Elias, great-grandfather Elias, and, um, Mike's just laughing up a storm. So later that day, when Mike and Rudy are actually on their work detail, which seems to just be hauling garbage bags in a wheelbarrow to the dump that's on the campgrounds or something. And apparently there's like an, just an insane amount of garbage, which I guess maybe makes sense because camps are big. But like there's a lot of work detail that happens and there's like always a fair, it's like Rudy, Mike, and then sometimes another person on work detail. For like, yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering, I just thought of this right now, but let's assume that nobody gets in trouble at camp. Like, who's taking out all the garbage? They just, like, leave it to pile up until someone is in trouble. <laughs> someone gets in so trouble. So <laughs> there's work detail. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make, a, like, a ton of sense 
But you know, Corman likes to have people like doing manual labor when they get in trouble. Yeah, he's great at the punishments of chores, yeah. chore punishments. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then the boys are, are talking about why they were sent to camp, and that's when they tell each other that Mike's was a reward and Rudy's was because his guidance counselor at school thought he had to learn to socialize. Um, and so they both know that they're like miserable and they're, they're not into this camp business. So they develop a pretty wild plan that they're going to build a dam in the creek and that's going to cause the camp to flood and then everyone will just have to be sent home, which has major Academy Blues energy. Yes, I thought the same thing. <laughs> it's the plot of Academy Blues brought to life yeah. at a summer camp. I, I just love the idea of like being an island, there being a creek, they're going to build a dam, which is like that, I feel like the easiest thing for like two young boys to be able to accomplish. And that will cause the entire camp to flood to such a degree that everyone will have to be sent home. But then again, the no spoilers, but they're a little bit proved right. So anyway, um, Rudy decides to put garbage in Harold Reem's shoes. And Harold finds this the next morning, and he's pretty mad, and Chip tells Rudy to clean it up. So Rudy puts the garbage in Harold Green's pillowcase, which I don't love. I'll interrupt for one second just to rewind. Mm -hmm. uh, like, at, when they come out, after they come up with that plan to uh, dam up the creek, mm -hmm. uh, then they, like, formally introduce themselves to each other. Because, mm -hmm. uh, like, Mike didn't even know Rudy's first name. And then just like one of my favorite lines, because I think it's so strange, is that it says the two shook hands solemnly. Yes. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'll, every time I read it, I'm like, I'm trying to picture what that looks like exactly. Why do they have to shake hands solemnly? Do you think he meant like seriously? Yeah, I do think that. But like, why? Why? <laughs> Like, this is the serious moment. Like, like this is, we, yeah. We're showing, like, respect to each other. Why We were goofing around at first, but now it's let's real. shake hands, like, seriously. I think it's because Rudy is kind of, like, a serious... Well, he's, like, very dry. Yeah. So I feel like if Rudy's going to shake your hand, it's going to be, like, semi-solemn in, like, an ironic kind of way. Yeah, that's, that's possible. I'm reading a lot into it, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, sorry, I just wanted, that's one of my no, it's lines great, that always sticks out to me. Great thing to flag. Uh, but yeah, the garbage in the pillow is uh, it's a bold move. I really feel like he's gone too far on this one. Like, I don't care how many times somebody calls you a nut, don't put garbage in their pillow. It's really violating, I feel like. Yeah. Not a cool move. Anyways, so then um, Chip tells them that they're going to write letters home. And this is one of my favorite parts of the book. Um, so Reedy writes a first draft of his letter to his parents listing the quote-unquote countless atrocities he's been subjected to, and these include, but are not limited to, poison food, contaminated water, typhoon, quicksand, axe murderers, and wild animals. And then he ends with like a hilariously casual quote, I'll be safe and sound so long as Algonquin Island doesn't sink any further, end quote. <laughs> yeah, that's... That's such a good letter. Oh, it's, it's a masterpiece. So then Chip reads the letter, which is not really a cool move, Chip. Um, and he obviously freaks out. And Rudy says to him, are you interfering with Her Majesty's mail? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love that line. It's so funny. 
Um, so then Chip tells Rudy, like, he can't send this letter because it's crazy. He has to write a new letter. Um, so Rudy writes a new letter that says, this certainly is camp, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's a great letter. Oh, uh, my gosh. The for each, each subsequent letter he writes, it's just the same yeah. exact thing, which just changes how many days are left until visiting day. Yeah. Oh, uh, the letter writing. So then... Um, they have to go ride an obstacle course. The cabin's going to go run an obstacle course. Rudy and Mike say they're not going. They are going to go to arts and crafts, is what they tell Chip. But really, they're going to the creek to start the dam. Yeah. So now, uh, so they walk into the mess hall at lunch, and they're covered in mud because they've been in the creek working on the dam. And Chip asks them what they're making. And Rudy says a salate. And then Chip says, like, all right. Um, and then later on, Mike asks Rudy what it means. And he says, it's French for dirt, which is very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they go back and work on it some more after lunch. Uh, but they realize the water is too deep and they give up and they say it's not possible to do. So Rudy has a new idea to escape, which is they take off in a boat. Uh, and then at this point, the beaver is introduced. Right. Uh, the beaver will be. <laughs> Like in most chapters, towards the end of the chapter, there's like a little note on how the beaver's progress of building this dam. So he sees this one that's been started and he decides to work on it. So we'll check in with the beaver every now and then. Uh, but yeah, the beaver's sort of a constant character that's sort of like on his own. It's a lot like the Manchurian bush hamsters. Like at the end of a chapter, you'll like get a little glimpse as to what's going on with them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Chip complains about his bunk at the next counselor's meeting. Um, and then at that point, Pierre, who is an arts and crafts counselor, tells them that arts and crafts was closed that day because Chip was saying, like, they were in arts and crafts. Like, how did you handle them? Mm-hmm. And so the Chip's like, oh, it's just like getting more and more upset. Um, anyway, so then the next morning at 5 a.m., Rudy wakes Mike to sneak out. So they get in a boat and are on their way. Uh, like halfway across the lake they get stopped by the cops uh, in one of their boats and they like check on them see if they have all the necessary equipment and they see they don't have a bailing bucket Mm -hmm. so the cop sends them back to land Uh, so Rudy and Mike are upset but Rudy says at least like nobody found them nobody caught them so yeah could be could be worse uh, and then at breakfast, Chip says he wants to see the salate at lunch. So Mike starts freaking out, but Rudy says it'll be easy since it means dirt. And so he says they'll make a box and put the dirt in it. So he takes the slats from Harold's mattress as a box to hold the dirt, which will pay off shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then at lunch, they present this box to Chip uh, with dirt in it. And Chip's basically, like, speechless. Uh, it's pretty funny. And, yeah, Rudy, like, feigns being hurt when Chip, like, mm-hmm. is questioning it. And he's like, don't you like it? Which is pretty funny. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, so then after lunch, uh, the Cabin 13 supposed to play hockey. But Rudy and Mike play chess instead. Uh, then at night. Harold goes to uh, his bed and the mattress gives way because the slats aren't there to support it anymore. <laughs> and so he falls right on Adam Willis, who is beneath him. 
So like as this is right after this happens, Rudy starts throwing stuff around the room, like pillows and blankets and everything, and screams pillow fight. And then he goes to the nearby bunks and knocks on the doors and invites them to join the pillow fight. So while this is happening, there's a counselor's meeting, and Chip complains about being lied to with the salate, but then Pierre tells him that it means dirt. And then Chip gets upset about that, so he leaves the meeting to go find Rudy, and that's when he sees the pillow fight. So at this point, like, there's a bunch of cabins all having a pillow fight in cabin 13, so it's like complete mayhem. Rudy and Mike are just sitting on the lawn watching, though. Uh, so Chip sees it. He goes in the cabin, gets hit with pillows, is just, like, getting destroyed. So he blows his whistle for the other counselors, and they come running, and there's just, like, general mayhem, basically, with Rudy and Mike, like, sitting quietly watching. And so Chip gets super upset about what's going on, and they kind of, like, people part way for him when they sense, like, how upset he is. And then he like gets to the wall of a cabin and he just like yells in anger and kicks the cabin and the whole cabin comes down with the force of Chip's kick. And I guess with being weakened from all the people in there having a pillow fight. So the cabin falls apart. (laughs) Classic camp mischief. We assume. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like, so yeah, you guys can tell us right in or tweet us if these kinds of things happen at camp, like <laughs> pillow fights and like anything pillow fights work that, detail. That uh, weaken the structure of a cabin <laughs> to the extent that somebody's kick can cause it to collapse. Yeah, we just have no frame of reference. Yeah, I imagine work detail isn't a feature, but pillow fights might be. Yeah, they seem pretty wholesome for the most part, pillow fights. Yeah, who knows? Okay, so then it's the next morning and Rudy and Mike again try to sneak away. This time, they steal a sailboat, so um, they start to sail away, and obviously it's not going as fast as the other boat, so they fall asleep as they kind of wait for the wind to take them to shore, but then when they wake up, they find that they've actually drifted back to Algonquian Island, and now the sun is up, so they can't risk another attempt, Um, so the boat is kind of like on the other side of the island, and they leave, and they go back um, to their cabin. They go to breakfast, and Harold and Mike start bickering um and chip then slams his fist on the table in frustration and you really think he would have learned at this point that like the camp seems to be you know in poor repair and it's falling apart yeah it's falling apart and and, um so the force of chip's fist breaks the table um so that like like the legs of the table where chip is so it like slants towards him and like all the food falls on him and so Chip's really mad, and he gives Rudy, Mike, and Harold Green all work detail. I just want to say one thing. Uh, there's a line a bit, I think, it, yeah, it's right after they, I guess, are back on the island when they realize they're just, like, fell asleep and drifted mm-hmm. back to Camp Algonquin Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, like, sort of a line that was, like, Mike thinking it, I guess, where it says, Rudy was, after all, Rudy, and that was that. What? Which is like this kind of line is written two or three other times in the book, mm-hmm. where it's just like, you know, that's the way it. That's the way he always was. <laughs> like very like, I don't know how to put this into words, but I always think about it when I read it. Mm-hmm. It's like very. It's like trying. It's like Mike saying like, oh, like you know, nothing. You know, Rudy just doesn't change. Like that's who he is, and like. Yeah. 
gotta love him for it. He's like always been like that. But at this point, he's known him for like two days. Like, I don't think it's reasonable to say like Rudy was after all Rudy, and that was that. Like, it. I think it's okay. I think that the right word I'm trying, I'm looking for, Mm -hmm. is the book is trying to add like a gravitas to like Rudy's Mm. character. Yeah. But which is reasonable if it wasn't like Mike thinking it, because like Mike has no business thinking this like two days into knowing this guy. So I always, it always like stuck out to me because it's done again at least once, but I think a couple times like this sort of thing. I I can't remember if I took a note of it or not, but Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it just like always stuck out to me that it's such a funny (laughs) thing to say. They're like really trying to make Rudy like a, a myth of a man. Right. Yes, exactly. Really making him like a, a true character. Yeah. I agree with everything you've said, but is there not an argument to be made? To be clear, I'm not making this argument. I'm just saying there might be an argument to be made <laughs> that, you know, at camp, because you're a kid and because you're spending like 24 hours a day with these people, relationships form and intensify at a very quick pace. What are your thoughts? Yes, that is that is fair to say. I will allow it. It still seems a little soon <laughs> to be thinking like this boy will always be like this yeah. after like 48 hours of being with him. But totally agree. I, I recognize the point. Okay. <laughs> um, so word gets to um, Mr. Warden about the pillow fight. So he calls a, an assembly, I guess you would call it. Like he, he gives another speech to the camp and he says, there's going to be patrols during future counselors meetings and everyone has to help repair cabin 13. Um, he also reports a missing sailboat and we know what happened there. Mm-hmm. And then um, at lunch, uh, Rudy has a new plan um, that he's going to pretend to get food poisoning so that he doesn't have to do any of the repair work. Um, but Chip doesn't buy it, but I really love that as a plan. But they do get to leave the repair work early because they have to go do their work detail. Um, so Rudy, Mike, and Harold are all doing the work detail, and they get into an argument, and Harold gets so mad that he walks away in the wrong direction and somehow walks into the creek in his anger. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, picturing Wiley Coyote, like, going over the cliff and not realizing until he right. looks down in yes. one of those situations. A hundred percent. It's the only way that could have happened. Um, then we, <laughs> we cut to another counselor's meeting, and Chip is again complaining about Rudy. And what I like is that at one point Chip says, like, I know he's not lying because Rudy never lies. Who do we know who doesn't lie? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More on that. Yeah. (laughs) More on that in a different segment. Um, But it's so interesting to me that Gordon Corman loves that personality trait. Um, So the counselors come up with a plan to tame Rudy, which is basically to force him to play sports. Because, you know, Rudy keeps saying he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. Um, So the next morning, the head counselor says to Rudy, he has to play. Um, He has to, like, participate in what his cabin is doing. And first up, they have baseball. And this is where I think the book really takes like a glorious turn because we get a very interesting layer to Rudy's character, which is that he's just amazing at everything. So at baseball, he like 
goes to the batter's box and he has like a weird stance and Chip's like, oh, let me help you out there, Rudy. <laughs> like gives, tries to give him tips. And Rudy just ignores him and he hits like an effortless home run, um, this first swing. Then he makes like some incredible plays at second base. Then he hits another home run. Then they make him pitcher and he throws nine consecutive strikes. Then at his next step bat, he gets hit by a pitch. And then he just goes on to steal every base. And my favorite part about that is that when he steals home, Harold is hitting and Harold still gets thrown out at first. <laughs> yeah, um, I like that a lot. So there is another point there uh, from what I was talking about before with like Rudy being Rudy mm-hmm. at, that, at this point right around. So Rudy asks, or sorry, Mike asks Rudy for batting tips and Rudy oh, like yeah. kind of yells at him. And then there's another line, some things changed, but Rudy never did. <laughs> like, come on, that is ridiculous. Here's another theory. Again, I'm not making this argument, I'm just presenting it to you. That Corman knows what he's doing, and he's just like, that's like a, a joke with the reader. <laughs> uh, I, okay, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Some things changed, but Rudy never did. That is like Day three. really, <laughs> really putting it on a little thick there. It's That's why I think maybe Mike, he's joking. Yeah, maybe. I think he's trying to really make Rudy like a mm. not even a human, like a beyond human. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I just found it funny that like, or Mike is just like has a big flair for the dramatic but only like in his own mind yeah yeah. (laughs) thinks all these things that's Uh, right like he's like narrating his own life like as if he's morgan freeman or something Mm -hmm. in like shawshank redemption or something like that that's rudy being rudy yeah (laughs) anyway i just (laughs) find it very funny um okay so after baseball they play soccer and it's the same thing rudy's incredible they win 18 nothing. Rudy like scores a million goals and just is clearly incredible. And then after that, they go swimming. And Dave remembers that Rudy told him he was a non-swimmer. So he gives him like a flutter board and just uh, tells Rudy to kick around. So Chip and Frank, I think, are like laughing at how like there goes Rudy's reputation of like just being good at everything he can't swim mm-hmm. but then uh harold green it goes out too far and then gets like a cramp and starts drowning basically so rudy sees that and easily swims past dave and chip to go save him so it's obvious that rudy is a, as good a swimmer as he is a baseball player and soccer player mm-hmm. uh, which is funny and then so and it's nice to see that rudy even though he hates harold green still has like in its in his character that he would still save him yeah and help him and then like once he like once he like carries him to shore whatever he like goes back and starts like kicking on the oh yeah that's really funny actually (laughs) i didn't make note of that but that's really funny and then dave takes the flutter board and smashes it on chip's head and it breaks (laughs) (laughs) very funny uh and then so the rest of the day like rudy's playing all the sports and he's just dominating in all of them and in each one Chip's like freaking out. He's so excited. He can't believe how good Rudy is. The other counselors are all mad at Chip uh, for lying to them because why wouldn't a boy that's this amazing at sports not want to play? So they think they mm-hmm. like Chip 
made fools of them to like convince Rudy to play only for him to like beat their cabin so badly. Um, just to, one small thing is when they're eating lunch that day, Rudy takes a bite of his sandwich and he's like, hey, this tastes stale. And Chip's like, shut up, Rudy, you're not poisoned. <laughs> yeah. so funny to me. That's really good. Yeah, it's those little little side things that are hilarious. Oh, good. Yeah, very funny. Uh, so counselors meeting that night. Uh, Chip says that it's bad for his cabin too. Uh, that Rudy's so good because like nobody needs to do anything and it's not really good for cabin spirit, but that Rudy has as much a right to play as anyone. Uh, but I just noted that it's funny. Like this was the first topic of situation or conversation at the counselors meeting. Yeah. And then as soon as like Chip's done saying this, Frank's like, okay, that's all for tonight. So <laughs> this counselor meeting lasted like exactly 12 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> funny to me <laughs> they do seem to have a counselor's meeting I feel like every night and it seems to mostly just be Chip complaining yeah it's nice that there's no other issues at the camp though that's true smooth sailing otherwise yeah and anyway uh, so <laughs> then at 3am that night Rudy wakes Mike uh, to escape again but Chip hasn't gone to sleep because he's, he's got a lot of mixed emotions about the day that's just happened uh, so Chip sees two figures at the dock getting in a boat and he runs after them. He Ch Chip jumps in a boat, but he like you jumps with too much weight and like falls in the lake. So Rudy and Mike turn around to go get him. Frank uh, hears the noise and comes on the scene and he can't believe that Rudy is trying to escape because he assumed he was happy once he started playing all the sports because he's so good at them. Um, but Rudy just tells him, I don't play sports. <laughs> Uh, but what, oh, I made a note here that Frank is like, can't believe it. He's struck dumb when Rudy says, I don't play sports. Mm -hmm. But if you go back a few pages, Rudy tells Frank himself that he doesn't play soccer. Yeah. Because Frank's there at the soccer game and Rudy tells him, I don't play soccer. So it's not like this is the first Frank's heard of it coming from Rudy's mouth. Yeah. So just, I like to nitpick like that. No, I like it. I mean, I have nothing One to add, but I, but I appreciate <laughs> you noting that. Yeah, you gotta you gotta take Gordon to task sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so Frank and Chip take Rudy and Mike to go see the warden, uh, but he doesn't seem to understand that they were running away. He just thinks they took a boat without permission, and like Frank and Chip are trying to explain, but the warden doesn't really get it. Uh, so he gives them five days work detail and makes them promise never to take a boat without permission. Uh, then they're Cabin's going to go play baseball. Rudy says they'd rather play chess. Uh, and Chip lets him do it because he thinks maybe Rudy tried to escape because he didn't want to play sports, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like he had uh, a, such a bad time doing all yeah. the sports. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the counselors are talking again, and they think they should force Rudy to play for the camp teams because they, you know, when they go play other camps, uh, they would be great. But Chip says no threats and no like forcing him because he thinks that, as you said, is what makes made Rudy want to escape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then um, at 4 a.m., Rudy and Mike try to leave again, but Chip catches them again, like just as they're leaving the cabin. Um, so they're foiled that time. But then at breakfast, people notice that Mike and Rudy are missing. And Adam tells Chip that they went down to the dock to watch the unloading of the supply boat. So Chip's like, oh no. So he runs like a madman to the dock 
and he sees the supply boat leaving and he like jumps into the water and starts trying to swim after it. So then some of the other counselors are like, mm, what's happening? So they just like get in a speedboat, which like easily catches the supply boat, which is a way better plan. Um, so they find the boys on the supply boat again, uh, or not again, but they find them and bring them back to the camp again. And Chip uh, puts them on kitchen duty, which is a pretty fun time for us readers because Rudy keeps like antagonizing um, the kitchen staff by saying like the food's so terrible. Um, and the chef gets so mad that he says like, if you don't like it here, just take a boat and leave. And Rudy gets super excited because now they have official permission to take a boat. So they take off for the dock and as they start to pull away, Chip catches the rope um, and the boat starts like towing Chip through the water basically, but I think he's like on his face. Like it's not a great situation for Chip. Um, so then again, they're like foiled and Chip puts them again on kitchen detail and Rudy takes one of Harold Green's socks and he announces to Mike ominously that he's going to add a little flavor to the soup with it. So predictably, Rudy and Mike are, are serving beef stew that um, evening, I assume. Is it dinner? Or lunch? I think so. Either way. And Rudy puts the sock in Chip's bowl, and Chip is, like, really mad. Totally understandable. Again, is Rudy crossing a line here? Probably. Anyway, um, Chip confines Rudy and Mike to their cabins except for kitchen and work detail. And at the counselors' meeting, the counselors are deciding what to do about them. And we get a, a near miss of a this can't be happening situation where they're like, maybe we should separate them. Like, maybe they're bad for each other. Um, and then they decide not to, probably because they've read this can't be happening and they know that it'll <laughs> yeah. just escalate their problems. Um, but they decide, like, listen, these two boys only like each other. Everyone else hates both of them. <laughs> so we can't like split them up and make them even more miserable and then like also make the rest of the camp even more miserable. And as they're kind of like talking through this, the head cook comes into the meeting and presents a signed letter from every member of the kitchen staff saying that they refuse to work in the kitchen if Rudy is there. Um, and ship agrees to take Rudy off kitchen duty and he tells Pierre that they want to go to arts and crafts tomorrow so Pierre's in charge of them tomorrow and he has to keep like a close eye on them. Yeah and I'll also just note that a couple times during those punishments uh, Chip, or Rudy makes like a couple jokes about the warden uh, to Chip and or Frank and they actually like crack a smile and laugh a little bit at those mm -hmm. jokes, which is um, a change for them. Yeah. And sort of a sign that they're warming up to Rudy in like a weird kind of way. And, or, like, or they hate the warden. Or they hate yeah, they hate, yeah, they hate the warden a lot. Which, by the way, is what Rudy calls him. He calls him the warden because he says it's like a prison there because also his last name is warden. Yeah, big time. <laughs> <laughs> so it works on two levels. I'm just saying because you were calling him the warden. And yeah. lest our listeners think there's a warden at this game. <laughs> that's fair. That's, that's very fair. <laughs> uh, 
Um, okay, so then the next day, Ralph, one of the counselors, comes to Rudy with a deal. Uh, he wants Rudy on his baseball team, like the camp baseball team. And so Ralph uh, says that if Rudy wins this bet, uh, that he joins the team. Or sorry, if Ralph wins the bet, then Rudy joins the team. And if Rudy wins, then he be, Rudy says he wants to be camp director for a day. And the bet is they're going to play a game of chess. And Ralph tells the counselors that he's a class A player with an 1800 ranking. So, you know, it should be no match for this little kid. Um, and then so arts and crafts time comes. So Rudy and Mike are there making their Tyrax mm-hmm. and uh, they seem to be enjoying themselves. And then Rudy and Mike are talking to each other. And Rudy says, there's still that sailboat from a few days ago that landed on the other side of the island um, that they could take because technically it's already been taken. So they wouldn't be breaking any promises. Uh, so at some point, Pierre leaves them for a bit. Well, Pierre's like kind of like gets a little confident. So he's like, yeah. you see what these boys need. Like they just need to be making Tyrax. Like they love arts and crafts so much. These other counselors like don't know what they're doing, which is pretty funny. Yeah. So yeah, Pierre thinks he's kind of solved Rudy and Mike. They just With don't like sports. Tyrax. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he yeah he sort of lets his guard down and goes uh, goes away for a bit. So Rudy and Mike run to uh, where that sailboat is on the other side of the island and they take it. And so that at some point during this, the counselors realize they're missing and they can't find them. And then they see like way out in the distance, like in the lake, uh, that there's a, a boat traveling. So they figure it's them. So they jump in motor boats to try to catch him. But Rudy and Mike have like a huge advantage. Uh, time advantage so they get to the mainland first and start to run but they see that the motorboats are quick like on their trail so they get it to this town uh, like the closest town snow hill i think it's called i didn't write it down but i, I think can't remember what it's called not chutney uh, we know it's not chutney <laughs> no um so they are running around the town the counselors are trying to catch them eventually they corner rudy and mike and take them back to camp uh, so Ralph's excited about all this. Uh, he says Rudy must be really scared uh, to play him if they're trying to escape. Mm-hmm. And then, like, hard cuts to R- Rudy and uh, Ralph playing with Rudy saying checkmate. <laughs> <laughs> so Rudy, like, easily wins. He won in less than 20 moves, uh, which means Rudy is going to be a camp director for the next day. Woohoo! So the next day comes... Rudy announces to the camp that Mike is now the head counselor and not Frank. And he says that there's not going to be any activities for the campers, but the counselors will have things like relay races, obstacle course, a bunch of other things and a 10 K. Um, so the counselors start like getting upset and telling Rudy like, okay, never mind. Uh, but the campers stick up for Rudy and they mm-hmm. say a deal is a deal. And then even Pierre agrees with them and says, you know, you can't go back on your word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then we go to the obstacle course that Rudy's invented. And Chip is just like covered in grapefruit. He's like falling on the ground. Uh, Chip's just having a terrible time. Uh, then at the relay races, it's a three-legged race. And Frank and Chip are a team. And again, they're like a complete disaster. 
just like flailing around on the ground, super dirty, and everyone's having like a good time laughing at their expense. Mm-hmm. Um, and people seem to be enjoying themselves, uh, not so much Frank and Chip, but everyone else. Yeah, even the other counselors, because Rudy gives them like ribbons when they win. Yeah, like getting into it. Yeah, he's making it pretty fun. Uh, then he says that the 10K is going to be canceled, but instead there's going to be a tug of war. Uh, so they go to the woods where Rudy's picked out a spot where basically whoever loses a tug of war is going to get pulled into this like giant mud puddle type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess bigger than a puddle if all these counselors are going to fit. Uh, but anyway, like into a big thing of mud. Uh, so Frank, so the team split up. Uh, Frank's team easily wins. So uh, Chip like goes in the mud along with half the other counselors. And then Chip pulls Frank into the mud. Uh, and then all the counselors jump in and start like wrestling each other in the mud. Uh, and just basically having like a fun time. <laughs> and then, so after lunch, Rudy announces that there's going to be a scavenger hunt. And so you should like get into teams of you know four or five people. And the, the items on his list are all like pretty funny. It's like nuclear waste, brontosaurus, rib, mm-hmm. a bunch of other like very funny, obviously things you can't get are on the list. Um, and while this is happening, Rudy and Mike go to the warden's office and Frank follows them there though. Uh, the phone rings and Rudy answers before Frank can get to it. <laughs> and you hear him say, no, we don't want 10 volleyballs. We want a thousand volleyballs, which is very mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like he hangs up before Frank can do anything about it. So then you get like a classic Corman montage uh, for a little bit, which is mm-hmm. just brief snippets of the different scavenger hunt teams having fun and looking for their clues. So this is like really where the day like takes off. Everyone's having a blast mm-hmm. uh, looking for all these items that are impossible to find. And so then we get to dinner and Rudy starts awarding uh, ribbons for the various uh, things people have found. And, you know, people are laughing and cheering. Then after dinner, they, Rudy says there's going to be a, the tag championship. Uh, and this ends up with the counselor's, like wrestling on the ground again somehow. Mm-hmm. And then as they're doing that, Rudy blows his whistle to reveal that Warden is now behind him, just like staring at the counselors. <laughs> yeah, I love, I mean, this is such like a fun part of the book. I love like Rudy, in addition to coming up with all these fun ideas, um, he's pretending to be like Warden and he keeps like making these like joke references to his grandfather, Elias. Um, and the campers just like absolutely love him. Like they keep like anytime he makes an announcement, there's like this huge cheer. They like boo when he says he's going to be like relieved of his duties at the end of the day. And it's just so fun. Um, yeah, this is clearly like the best day at camp anyone has had. Yeah, camp director for a day. Um, so then the next day, one of the counselors says to Rudy, he like kind of like approaches him really hesitantly, and he's like, "Hey, Rudy." Um, the camp soccer team is going to go play at Cedar Ridge camp tomorrow. Like any chance you want to join us. And he surprised, Rudy surprises everyone. And he's like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. Um, and everyone's like, what in the, and Rudy explains to Mike later on that Cedar Ridge is on the mainland. So they're going to go there for the game and then they're going to somehow escape as soon as they can. 
So one part I liked is as they're arriving at this camp, Mike is like looking around, taking it all in. And his internal monologue is just like noting that all camps are the same. And he says to himself, there was the you must have fun atmosphere. Although in this place, it was probably funshine. What? <laughs> <laughs> is it? Isn't that based on the camp's name, or is it, is it? completely out of the blue? I, I, I felt like it was completely out of the blue, because in the camp's name, Cedar Ridge. Oh, yeah, no, but I think there's a slogan, something like oh. the Funshine Place. Oh, I see. Okay, because I did not clog that, so for me, it was just like him making <laughs> a joke about how, like, weird. Yeah, but I was very into it. <laughs> I was like, it probably is Funshine at this stupid camp. Anyway, yeah. so um, once they – oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, just one thing. Um, so the counts, like counselors are all celebrating when Rudy says he's going to play because they think like finally mm-hmm. they've turned Rudy into a count into like a camp a camper that's having fun. Yeah. So they're all like celebrating, and then um, so they're like they're excited. He's also joined the soccer team because they're like he plays soccer like Pele, mm-hmm. and then Ralph is like and he plays chess like Bobby Fischer. And then someone else says, and he runs like Henry Rono. And I just thought it was interesting because like the first two are, you know, the, probably the most famous, among mm-hmm. the most famous people in the sport. Yeah. And I did not know who Henry Rono was. I don't know mm-hmm. if you do. Of course not. Um, yeah, I did look him up. Ah, more research. <laughs> yeah. So he was like a Kenyan runner that was extremely fast, like a long distance runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he ran, among other things, he ran a, uh, a mile in under four minutes, which is mm-hmm. just like impossible, basically. Um, <laughs> and he had like some records in, you know, 5,000 meters and 10,000 meters and 3,000 meters, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he participated in the Commonwealth Games and uh-huh. like the All-Africa Games, but he never competed in the Olympics because Kenya, either Kenya boycotted the Olympics or the Olympics boycotted Kenya, mm-hmm. one of the two, uh, like during his time as a competitive runner. Ah. Uh, this was in 76 and 80. Uh, so he, so my question is, like, was Henry Rono that well-known a person even back then (laughs) like to have him be the example as a runner Mm. Uh, like in the same way Pele is like maybe yes if any of our uh, listeners are a little bit older than us and grew Mm. up around like the 70s yeah yeah yeah. 80s if you could let us know that would be great because like obvious like if it was written today and I'm guessing if they did like the Mm -hmm. updated version like they did before probably they changed it to Usain Bolt or something Yeah. Even though that's not long distance, but still probably it's what yeah, they yeah. use. But like, yeah, back then I still don't think Henry Rono was a household name. Maybe whoever said that was like trying to be like, like loved that it was a bit of an obscure reference. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to be like yeah. kind of cool of being like, <laughs> I know this like runner who never was even in the Olympics. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it is impressive. And Henry Rono is a very fast man. No question about it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, also, if you do have a more updated version, I'd actually be curious if any of those names are changed. Mm, yeah. Like, like the Magnus Carlsen instead of Yeah, Bobby it's like Fischer. Magnus Carlsen, yeah. and, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi or something for the yeah, soccer yeah, player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And then, you love yeah. to know what the sports ones I are. I need to know. He's got to know. Um, okay. So Rudy and Mike... 
decide to arrange a meeting spot in the woods, and their plan is basically Rudy is at some point during the game going to kick the ball into the woods. Mike is going to go look for it. Then everyone's, like, Mike's not going to come back, and everyone's going to start looking for Mike, and in that confusion, Rudy's going to disappear, and they're going to meet up at their meeting spot and run away. Um, so obviously during the game, Rudy's just, like, being amazing, scoring a million goals. And one time he misses so that he can kick the ball into the woods. And Ship gets suspicious right away. He's like, Rudy never misses. Again, only seen him play soccer for, like, one and a half times. But anyway, um, and so Mike goes to get the ball, and Rudy's and Chip is like, okay, the crowd needs to hold Rudy while like I go get Mike because obviously something is afoot. So Chip asks Rudy where Mike went, and Rudy says he can only give him his name, rank, and serial number, um, which is very funny. And the crowd is like, wait, what is happening? And Chip gets like really mad at Rudy straight away, and he says like he'll break his neck. And Rudy has a great line: "Dead, I am of no use to you." <laughs> So then the Cedar Ridge kids are like really starting to love Rudy and the whole crowd turns on Chip and everyone's like, wow, what happens at this Algonquian Island place that like this kid's being treated like a prisoner? Um, so Rudy can't go anywhere, obviously, and eventually Mike just kind of like sheepishly returns to the field and the game continues. So that plan is spoiled. And then the next day, the boys find out that the whole camp is going to a dance at Camp Silver Lake, a girls camp. And Rudy, of course, sees this as another opportunity to escape. And Chip is obviously really nervous, and he knows that Rudy's going to try something at this dance. So he makes all the other counselors watch Rudy really closely. So when they arrive, they essentially, like, frog march Rudy and Mike into, like, the dining area where they all sit, and the counselors sit on either side of them. And all the girls are like, what is up with these guys? Like, why are they treating them like this? And then once the dance starts, some girls drag Rudy onto the dance floor, even though he says, I don't dance. And he starts dancing, like, beautifully, obviously. And, like, listening or reading Corman describe really good dancing was very <laughs> amusing to me. Um, so, so Rudy and Mike are like edging towards the door while Rudy's just like dancing up a storm. And then he like pushes Mike through the door and Corman writes, then executing a devastating triple spin. He was gone as though in a puff of smoke. <laughs> it's so great. So they like run out the door. Um, but as soon as they get outside, Pierre is just like standing there waiting for them being like, I caught you essentially. So the counselors all run out uh, to go find Rudy. Uh, they don't notice that Pierre has him like right outside the hall. Uh, so then later it's revealed. Oh, sorry. And also uh, Pierre says he better go round up the counselors and tells or the girls ask if they should like dance with Rudy. Well, he does that. <laughs> and Pierre says yes, because he knows it'll punish Rudy because he hates to dance. Mm -hmm. uh, so then later it's revealed that Chip, Jack, Ralph and Frank all <laughs> fell in the lake uh dave got left behind and sprayed by a skunk leo chased jim up a tree because jim thought leo was a bear uh so like a bunch of like ridiculous things happened to all the counselors and meanwhile rudy was like sitting like two feet away from the dance hall uh which is really funny uh so the counselors were all like super upset about this but then slowly they realize like how funny the situation actually is mm -hmm. they're laughing and then everyone just is like cracking up and realize like how funny 
the everything is like not just that night but like <laughs> everything involving rudy has been uh then we get a, another word from the beaver uh his dam is done and he detects that it'll be time to test it soon because there's some uh, weather inclement weather coming in mm-hmm. so the next parents day is the next day or like t- it's the day after the current day um and so the boys have to clean up uh you know the cabin and the camp in general uh so they get put to work and chip mocks rudy for having to work like you know this mighty rudy that's done all this stuff uh but he still has to work like everyone else the worst the worst yeah so the counselors are all teasing him rudy until rudy can't take anymore and he says he's going on strike and then pierre offers to open up arts and crafts so that they can make signs (laughs) um and then Chip's like mad at Pierre because he's like, whose side are you on? Pierre says, I think it's obvious or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Pierre like reasons with Rudy uh, to keep working. And Chip thinks that like Rudy is dumb for agreeing. Like, cause he just, Pierre like jokes that he'll double his salary, which obviously is zero. Um, so Chip's like, man, Rudy's so dumb that he's agreed to double zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <clears throat> I just wrote, Chip thinks Rudy is dumb, but Pierre knows what's up. Mm-hmm. Because Pierre is like, the problem isn't Rudy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, then we get to visiting day. And there's a huge, it looks like there's going to be a huge storm. But Mr. Warden says to Frank that it never rains on visiting day. So, you know, keep going forward with your plans, which includes like an outdoor buffet and a parents camper soccer game and various other outside activities. Uh, so that morning Rudy is packing up his stuff, hoping that his parents will take him home. And he tells Mike, he should be packing too. Adam and some of the other cabin 13 boys say they're trying to like convince Rudy not to go and that they'll miss him. <laughs> and <clears throat> Adam says like, it'll make Harold so happy uh, if you go. Mm-hmm. And then so Rudy grabs a piece of paper and writes on a note that he puts on Harold's pillow in like fancy calligraphy. Betwixt these sheets sleepeth ye biggest twit in Ontario. Which is one of my favorite lines uh, like ever. I want to incorporate this line into my life somehow. But I'm not sure how. But I think it's very funny. Um, Anyway, so then... uh, Parents all arrive, and Chip's talking to Rudy's parents, and Rudy has an eight-year-old brother, Jeffrey, uh, who says, this place is stupid. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and, like, Chip can't believe that there's, like, another Rudy. He's, like, basically just, like, mini-me version of Rudy. Yeah. Uh, Mike brings over his family to introduce to Rudy, and Mike's sister is, like, worshipping Rudy because in Mike's letters, it's clear that Mike has, like, been saying such incredible things. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, all then all the counselors come over and introduce themselves to Rudy's parents. <laughs> and then at that point, Chip grabs Rudy and Mike and he's like, has found the note he put on Harold's pillow and starts yelling at them. And then, so like Jeffrey's like, look, mom, that guy is yelling at Rudy. <laughs> and then Chip like still can, he's just laughing at the fact that there's two Millers, which mm-hmm. is funny to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Rudy's parents introduce themselves to the, to warden and remind him about the letter they wrote. And then Frank hears this, and he can't believe there was a letter. And, like, Warden's oblivious. He says, oh, like, just over-anxious parents, nothing to worry about. But mm-hmm. Frank, like, can't believe that they were warned. And 
important and say anything. Yeah. But he decides not to tell Chip because he thinks Chip won't be able to handle that. <laughs> I think that's wise. Yeah. And then around that point, the rain starts. So Frank guides everyone into the mess hall. Uh, Chip slips going into the mess hall, slides on the wet grass, and goes face first into his potato salad at the entrance. <laughs> very funny description. <laughs> so everyone's so Jeffrey starts laughing, and then Mike joins in, and then everyone is just laughing at Chip. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's kind of mean, but it's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, and Jeffrey's like, "Wow, camp seems fun." Yeah. <laughs> Ru- Rudy and Mike stare at each other intently. Seems like they're staring solemnly, much like they once shook hands uh, solemnly, I would say. Yes, quite. And then after a couple of hours of rain, the counselors realize the field is flooded. Uh, they realize it should be wet, but it shouldn't be flooding like this. Mm-hmm. And then water starts flooding into the mess hall mm-hmm. from the work of the beaver. And then so, you know, water starts filling up the buildings. And then Rudy starts laughing, which has never happened before. He's always kept a straight face, like a poker face. Yeah. But when he realizes what's going on, he yeah he starts laughing uncontrollably, <laughs> and Chip can't believe it. He's like Miller is laughing. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, and then the counselors, some of the counselors, go to try to unblock the creek, and then eventually the sun comes out, and you know everyone's okay. But the mess hall and a bunch of other buildings, I think, are kind of in tatters. Mister Warden is stuck in his attic because his cottage started filling up with water. Uh, so it's kind of like Rudy's plan almost worked out in the end. Yeah. Not, not bad enough to send everyone home, but did some damage for sure. Yeah. Uh, so as Rudy's parents are leaving, they say to him, like they realize from his letters and general sort of attitude that he's not happy. So does he want to come home? And then at that point, everything hits Rudy at once, like all like the crazy stuff that's been going on. And he realizes he doesn't want to go home. And Chip is eavesdropping on this conversation and super happy to hear that, which is pretty like, it's nice of Chip that after yeah. all Rudy's put him through, like Chip's just happy that Rudy is happy at camp. Yeah. Uh, there does say a lot about Chip, I must say. Um, so Mike asks Rudy why he wants to stay. And Rudy says it's because he hasn't escaped yet. And so he doesn't want to give them the satisfaction. But mm-hmm. really it's because Rudy loves camp deep down, I think. Ooh. Interesting. Um, and so Rudy's Mike says, like, what if we get away with it now? And Rudy says, you know, if we succeed, then score one for us and we'll come back and we'll try it again. Yeah. <laughs> loves the thrill of the chase. Exactly. Um, so then as the book's wrapping up, we flash forward to the last day of camp. So I guess it's two weeks later. And we learn that Rudy has escaped nine times. The counselors have caught him six times, and he's just come back on his own three times. So uh, I guess things have continued much as they began. And Rudy tells Chip that he's coming back next year, and Chip obviously freaks out a little bit about this. Um, So they sort of wrap everything up. They say goodbye. The boys get on the boat to leave. And as they leave, the supply boat arrives with 1,000 volleyballs, which is a real classic Corman ending, I feel. Incredible ending. So, like, the last image is Chip on the edge of the dock, shaking his fist and yelling for Rudy to come back. Yeah. Miller! Yeah. Okay, now it's time for Crime Watch, when we talk about the various low-key crimes they commit in the book. 
Crime watch. Hey, what's the time? It's crime. Feeling fine? No need to rhyme. But I already am, so I'll stop. Ooh. It started off in not the best place, but by the end, I was very much on board. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. I wish that we decided for season two that we weren't going to continue with uh, <laughs> the little... I, I think I suggested that, but... Well, we didn't say we wouldn't do jingles, but I do remember us saying like, oh, it's going to be great in the second season when we have like all new segments so we can like have new jingles. And then we realized like all of our segments except for one would still be relevant to the <laughs> yeah, second exactly. season's books. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so yeah, that's a bit of a disaster. But I guess uh, you got to give the people what they want, and they're here for the jingles and the jingles alone. So. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, okay, so in terms of the crimes, I I thought it was like much more mischief than actual crimes, like you know doing all the stuff to Harold Green, running. I away. thought it was like maybe some of the stuff to Harold Green is like low key harassment. I feel like. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't. I don't it's know about it, crime, but like. Yeah, you're not getting arrested for putting, like, garbage in someone's pillow. No, but if he had hurt himself with the slap removal gag. Yeah, he could have sued, potentially. He could have sued. Yeah, and I felt like maybe if they had followed through with building the dam, that would have been, like, property destruction or, like... Oh, yeah, that's true. Something, but they stopped pretty quick, so yeah. they, they can't be blamed for that. Really. That's right. Uh, but, yeah, like, uh, no real crime crimes just okay i think that that antics. is not true because there is a hell of a lot of grand theft boating or whatever you would call it there's like a lot of stealing boats and there's <laughs> a lot of piloting boats without a license they're just borrowing though mm, okay all right yeah i think the laws of boat licenses were a lot more lax back then what are you basing that on <laughs> I know they like, uh, you know, they made them more strict in recent years. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you'd done some more research. And I you're going to pull out like a statute from uh, <laughs> 1998 that had... No, but I feel like if you go to a camp, you can use a camp's boats. I think that's very untrue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that you would need a license and you'd have to be a counselor to pilot one of the camp's boats. I mean, that, that might be right. That, that could definitely be right. <laughs> I also feel like the sock in the soup, again, not sure if it's a crime, but if it's not, it should be, because that seems like some sort of violation of the social contract. Yeah, it could be a health code violation. Oh, that's right. Sort. Yes, a health code violation. As is probably having, like, tiny children work in a kitchen, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, working in a garbage dump. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah hard to know. If any uh, lawyers are listening <laughs> <laughs> and want to uh, tweet at us. With... I feel like every time your attempts at engagement are like a little crazier. <laughs> if anyone was born in the decades between <laughs> this one and this one if and any, knows about yeah. long-distance running, <laughs> if there are any lawyers who are experts in camp in work in marine law, <laughs> <laughs> any members of the Coast Guard, please write in. 
Please tweet at us. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's, I mean, I was really focused on all the boat thievery yeah, and the, sense. like, harassment. Um, certainly there's no, like, toll booths or anything like that. <laughs> True. Yeah, so, yeah, let's say some potential crimes. A little bit of crime, a little bit of, like, not great stuff. But we won't know until the lawyers weigh in. Yes, correct. <laughs> Time for Bruno and Boots, the segment we introduced in our first episode and then never again for our first season because it wouldn't apply. But now it applies in a big way. Bruno and Boots, when we talk about all the characters who are like Bruno and Boots, who are not Bruno and Boots. Bruno and Boots, he's Bruno, he's Boots, they're in cahoots, and that's it. I loved the rhyme of cahoots. Yeah, I was trying to get something with like roots, like they're the roots of other characters, and I could not get it, and that's why I kind of petered out. Yeah, still good though. Okay, appreciate, appreciate. Now, in my memory... As in when we were coming up with segments and we came up with a segment, Bruno and Boots, I was really remembering that Rudy and Mike were like exact replicas of Bruno and Boots. So I was actually surprised upon reading this that there are several important differences, actually. Like obviously the general feeling of like Rudy being a Bruno archetype in terms of like very mischievous and like not really caring about consequences. And obviously, Mike being the boots archetype of, like, a sidekick that is, like, a bit more hesitant, has a bit more of a conscience, but will still go along with what the other guy wants to do. Yeah. Um, But, like, Rudy obviously hates everything and has no camp spirit, and that's, like, the opposite of Bruno. Like, Bruno would be very into the camp, I feel. Oh, that's a great point, yeah. Bruno, like, loves McDonald Hall with all his heart. Exactly, and so everything Bruno does is, like, for the hall, and everything Rudy does is, like, to try and get away from the camp. Wow, that's really smart. I hadn't thought about that. That's an excellent point. Thank you so much. I also feel like Rudy and Mike are just, like, meaner <laughs> than Bruno and Boots. Um, yeah. Obviously, we're not talking this can't be happening version of Boots. Right. Uh, but like the general Bruno and Boots are not like putting garbage in people's pillows. They're not calling people nuts and twits and stuff like that. I just feel like Rudy and Mike are like have a harder edge. Yeah, definitely. Maybe it's because they're, you know, they're at summer camp where you can kind of get away with a bit more than when you're uh, at school. Yeah, they can like cut loose a bit more. Yeah, exactly. Like there's no teachers or headmasters. Right. Uh, do you see any similarity in uh, like Chip being a Mr. Sturgeon archetype? Ooh, that is very interesting. I had not thought much about that. Mm, again, he's like a bit meaner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Um, the main similarity to me is that, like, deep down, he cares about the boys and wants them to be happy. Um, but, does like, he though, or does he just want them to like camp? Like that was sort of my read on Chip. I think you have a more generous reading than I do. Like for me, yeah. Chip is all about like 
everyone likes camp. Like, we're going to get these guys to like camp. And, like, that's his victory. It's less like Rudy is happy. Yeah, but he does say at at one point, he says, like, it's our job to make sure they're the least miserable they Mm. can be. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, like, it's similar into, like, how Bruno and Boots are not exactly Rudy and Mike, but there are... Mm -hmm. It's a similar type of character. As we notice, they don't lie. Oh, yeah, and yeah, the lying thing is huge. Mm-hmm. You can't have characters who lie, otherwise it throws the entire dynamic of the book in jeopardy. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I didn't really think... Uh, I don't know if we're just looking at Bruno and Boots or looking at all McDonald Hall characters for this segment, uh, but I didn't really think of any other similarities, so irrelevant, I guess, in this case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I hadn't even thought to consider other McDonald Hall characters, um, but the Bruno and Boots archetypes um, will continue to appear, at least in some version. I think throughout the other books. Yeah, I think so. Okay, now it's time for our next segment. This can't be happening at McDonald Hall in 2020 when we talk about how technology would have changed things in the book. This can't be happening, won't be happening, shouldn't be happening, must not be happening at McDonald Hall in 2020. <laughs> oh my god. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That one was incredible because your hard swerve to a like, lovely melody came out of absolutely nowhere. Showing my full range. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed you are. Um, yeah, absolutely breathtaking. So I'm embarrassed to say I only came up with, like, maybe cell phone slash communication being different. And even then, like, I don't really know if camps let you have cell phones. Yeah, like I was similar to you. I wrote the usual cell phone type stuff, but I also thought, yeah, maybe, like, I don't, I don't know. You know, campers write in. But, (laughs) like, do you, is having your cell phone something? Like, do they even get reception at all these camps? This is is in, like, uh, what seems to be, like, northern Ontario, right? So. Yeah. I thought also there would be, this is, like, a bit stretching it, probably not realistic, but I thought maybe um, they would, after, like, repeated attempts to escape, maybe they would try make Rudy wear some kind of GPS tracker or something, like, oh, on his person. Speaking of crime watch, that seems incredibly illegal. Yeah, for sure, but, you know. <laughs> or, like, put them all in, in all, like, their boats, maybe? Yeah, I was just thinking, that made me think, like, there would be better security devices for the boats, potentially. Yeah. That could be something, as opposed to, like, an ankle <laughs> bracelet on a... yes and then the other thing uh yeah he wouldn't be listening to a walkman presumably probably have Mm -hmm. an ipod or i guess those aren't really much anymore. but that wouldn't change anything it would not change much (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i think this book could be set today yeah completely Um, which is great for the publishers because they seem to want to update things when they couldn't be set today so yeah so yeah i think this book is probably of all the ones we've talked about the least impacted by new technology yeah for sure 
That takes us to one of my favorite segments, the Elmer Drinsdale Memorial Award, where we discuss the side characters and give an award to our favorites. Elmer Drinsdale. Elmer Drinsdale. Do you recognize that tune? I do. I really do. And now I like can't tell you what it is. Well, it's definitely a famous tune, and obviously I'm not talking about that because it was our doorbell chime. Yes, yes. For much of our childhood. Of course, yes. Until one of Ashley's friends broke one of the chimes. Yeah, so then there was like a chime missing in certain parts of the song. So there's just like a pause. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, that is why it's so familiar, though. Uh, Okay, tell me about the side characters and your favorites. Um, Okay, so I have a... Uh, okay, it's a complicated question for me. Sure. If you were asking me, like, as I, all the millions of times I read it as a kid, mm-hmm. my answer would very definitely be Pierre. Yeah. I think he is, like, he's, you know, kind of the cool counselor that understands Rudy. And, you know, he's, like, trying to explain a few times to the other counselors, like, kind of what Rudy's all about mm-hmm. uh, with varying levels of success. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I still like him a lot and I think he's pretty funny but I really have like a deep appreciation for Chip now as I grow older oh what <laughs> I think he's so funny he does so many funny things what is this I'm, I'm not saying he's my favorite okay. but I might be saying that okay <laughs> I don't know he's like he's definitely I think he's the most complex character in the book um, um, all right more well like i guess maybe rudy but i i think that chip is yeah i think he is dealing with a lot he's not getting any support from his other counselors Uh certainly not getting any support from the warden Mm -hmm. also favorite character doesn't mean i you know i think he's like the best guy i just like him the most i'm always entertained by his antics okay i think it's funny like when he flails about and like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> falls on the ground like all the time falls in the lake all the time mm-hmm. he's like constantly getting one-upped by this like small boy yeah. uh, <laughs> these are all he's the like the my biggest laughs usually come from something chip is doing okay. i would say okay and then just very quickly i would say i have a soft spot for leo martin who is another counselor that has like two lines in the book <laughs> because he's like several times he's the one that got mistaken for being a bear Mm -hmm. uh, because he's like big and hairy and just like as a hirsute individual myself Mm. I could relate to uh, his problems. Is there textual evidence that he was described as big and hairy and that's why he was... uh... He's called big a couple times, Uh big Leo Martin and then with Jim saying that he thought Leo was a bear I kind of inferred that he's also got some hair. Okay. Wait, so so are you saying you're giving your Elmer Dreamsdale Memorial Award to Chip? Yep. Okay. So listeners, write in. Uh, let us know. <laughs> let us know what you think about that pick. I mean, you did make a, a uh, more compelling argument than I thought you would make when you began. I just get so, like, whenever Chip enters the scene, I'm just kind of like, ugh, what is this guy going to do now? I just don't, I, I don't think I've, I've found the humor in him quite yet, uh, the okay, way that you described. Fine. Maybe read it again. Yeah, well, of course I'm going to. <laughs> um, 
So, I mean, I have some honorable mentions. I like Adam, the camper, oh, yeah. who's just kind of like, seems to be like super into the Rudy, Mike, Harold, Green triangle of conflict. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that seems pretty fun. I really like Jeffrey Miller, who just like arrives on the scene um, being like really rude and then like loving that, like all these hilarious, terrible things are happening at this camp. Um, Jeffrey, sorry to interrupt you. No, that's Jeffrey funny. is like what um what's that stupid kid's name yeah edward yeah. jeffrey yeah. is like what edward could have and should have been that is so true <laughs> yes i haven't thought about that 100 million percent this is the edward we deserved <laughs> um okay love that and now i kind of want to make jeffrey my pick but it is not going to be because pierre is my pick um, which the way you sort of set yours up makes it sound like mine is unsophisticated because you were like, I began with Pierre and then I like grew older and matured. <laughs> but I am picking Pierre because as you said, he gets Rudy. Um, he just like generally has a good sense of humor about things, which like some of the other counselors seem to lack. And he seems to like love it whenever Chip fails, which is pretty fun. Um, I just like Pierre, and I really like, as I said before, that scene where he's like, you see, kids just need some good old-fashioned arts and crafts to settle down, and then they're fine. I also really like when Chip, or sorry, when Pierre catches them as they're leaving the dance, he's like, now sit down, boys, we're going to talk through all of this, and it really seems like you're going to get an explanation of, like, what is the deal with Rudy? Like, Pierre's going to talk some sense into him, they're going to come to an understanding, and instead of that happening, like, Chip just, like, bursts out of the auditorium and like everything goes berserk and you like never actually get I know that scene that bugs me so much which it, it's like both like infuriating but also like an amazing artistic choice I to just like take that off the table and it's like it's not really a Corman thing I don't think to like have that moment of reckoning yeah it's true I it, oh you put that very well because I experienced both like <laughs> Every time I read it, I'm like, oh, this time he's going to say it. Yeah. Never says it. <laughs> Never says it. Yeah, so that's so that's my pick. And um, I guess mine, mine is um, less interesting than yours, but certainly less controversial. Definitely agree. Tell us who your uh, favorite side characters are. But only if you're a lawyer. Only if you are a lawyer or are familiar with Henry Rono. Correct. <laughs> Okay, now it's time for room 306, where we ask each other dumb questions. And in this case, we'll also be answering our coalition's great questions. Correct. Ring, ring. Hello? Hi, I'm looking for room 306. Okay, here you go. <laughs> room 306, yeah? <laughs> what news you got? Uh, just <laughs> wrong number. You gotta go. Wow, that <laughs> went on for a very long time. I didn't understand any of it. Yeah, it was anticlimactic, I would say. Um, yeah, maybe it'll be like as the season progresses, you'll get more clues about it. I hope it'll be like a not. greater mystery. <laughs> listeners write in <laughs> mystery lovers write in and tell us 
Um, yeah, I would love for you to reconsider that as a plan. Okay, <laughs> already done. It's already scrapped. Um, all right, let, let me hear your first question. Okay, so just to be clear, uh, me and Shira are going to ask each other our normal two questions, and then we have uh, three questions from our coalition members that they wrote in to us, mm -hmm. and we'll do those after. Right. Um, okay, so my first question is... I don't know. I'll just ask it, I guess. I won't preface it with anything. <laughs> what does Rudy end up doing with his life? Wow. <laughs> Major question here. Um, I think that he... Okay, you know in Catch Me If You Can, how they, like, at the end, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen Catch Me If You Can, the, like, guy who did all the fraud becomes a fraud detector for like the FBI or whoever it is. Yeah. I feel like this would be a similar situation where like he would have like a really interesting job of like security plans or like something that involved like escape, like foiling others escape plans because he's so good at thinking of them. Oh, that's great. Maybe he designs escape rooms. Oh, that's so much smarter than what I said. <laughs> I would love it if he designed escape rooms, something where he doesn't have to play sports like the spotlight can be off of how he's amazing at everything mm -hmm. and he can let other people shine by uh, creating fun puzzles for them. I love that as an answer. That's a great answer. Great answer. So pretend I said it. Very smart answer. Thank you. That was a great question. What is that what you were thinking escape room or you just uh, came up with that now? Oh no, I just came up with that now. I mm. didn't have an answer. No. Okay. All right. Now, since Chip is your favorite character, <laughs> My question revolves around him. I'm very interested in Chip's backstory. Yeah. So what type of camper do you think Chip was? Why do you think he wanted to be a counselor? What were his other summers like before Rudy entered the picture? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I think that as a camper, I think Chip was quite unremarkable. <laughs> I think he liked camp. I don't think he loved camp. I think he went mm -hmm, mm -hmm. every year probably just because it was what he did. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think his counselors would remember him for better or worse. Mm -hmm. And I, But I think as a counselor, he has – this is not his first summer, mm -hmm. and I think that he's been a – good counselor normally when he has a cabin that wants to be there and gets along mm -hmm. i think he is a really good counselor with a bit of a short fuse yeah but one that like doesn't get ignited very often mm -hmm. uh, because you know his campers generally respect him and maybe are slightly afraid of him because you know they've seen hints of like a glimmer in his eye that he can get mad and scary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but I think that if you act normal or like a, <laughs> if you're like a camper that just like is being at camp yeah. and enjoy that sort of day-to-day -day life, then Chip can be your best friend. Mm, very nice. Can't express enough how devastating it is for like the first <laughs> Description of someone to be unremarkable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it felt good to say. <laughs> very good, very good. 
Okay. Uh, my second question for you is, uh, and you for this question, you can kind of, you can pretend it's like modern day so that there's like instant messaging and phones and stuff if you want. I okay. don't want that to be the reason for your answer. Okay. Uh, but my question is, do Rudy and Mike remain friends after camp? Ooh. This is kind of heartbreaking, but my mind like has an answer that I am convinced is absolutely true, which is like Mike is super into like trying to contact Rudy, like, hey, Rudy, like, what's going on? Are you still like amazing at everything? Like, how's school? And Rudy is like, not that into Mike, let's just say. Like, Rudy is doing his own thing. He's like, doesn't really seem to be one for like French, like a camp friendship post camp fully agree i like throughout the book you kind of get the vibe that like rudy is friends with mike out of convenience because yes. he needs like someone to hatch plants with yeah and mike is only trying to escape because he like loves rudy <laughs> yeah exactly um so i do i do agree with you that yeah i think that it fizzles out pretty quick yeah would be my guess yeah it's tough but uh, mike deserves better in a friend than rudy i think they both yeah, need they both need different things. Yeah, yeah, totally. Sometimes it's better to grow apart. Okay. My next question has a bit of a preamble. So I want to remind our listeners that neither Ashi nor myself went to sleepaway camp. But our under we do have somewhat of an understanding, I would say, of sleepaway camp, and that is because we were uh, very, very, very big fans of probably one of the greatest shows TV has ever seen, and that is Bug Juice, the Disney Channel um, 90s reality show. And what a reality show. Let's just say it set the bar pretty high for reality <laughs> shows. Um, for those who don't know, it was just like literally a reality show of kids at camp. And the first season is unbelievably amazing so if you don't know what we're talking about get the to youtube because i'm pretty sure all of it's on youtube so ash you are familiar with the first season of bug juice just confirming yes in that i watched it but have not seen it for many years i haven't done a rewatch like you have okay so I, I encourage him characters? almost every year to do a rewatch <laughs> it's true if there's specific characters i'm not going to know the answer to that okay well i'll, I'll help you out then Okay. So on the first season of Bug Juice, again, arguably one of the best shows ever on TV, there are two like key counselors. One is Rhett, who is the boys' cabin counselor. And Rhett, if you don't remember, is like very into bonding. He's like really into like just like getting his boys to bond. He's really into them like being a tight group. He keeps talking about them being quote unquote tight. Um, so he does like all these like um bonding things like he wakes them up in the middle of the night to do like trust exercises <laughs> like he's just like really going hard that they have to like talk about their feelings a lot have like really strong relationships they got to be a tight cabin that's Rhett now on the girl side we have Luna who is like a very cool like kind of hippie-ish um young woman who's just like really into everyone being their best self and like championing every camper and is just like lovely and very cool and fun and nice okay did any of that ring bells to you just out of curiosity no 
(laughs) (laughs) This may be why I felt more comfortable in in the sort of envisioning what happened at camp, like people not having ankle bracelets. As is because it didn't happen on bug juice. (laughs) Okay, here is my question. Do you think either or both of Rhett or Luna would have been able to have a breakthrough with Rudy? Why or why not? Okay. Base, thank you for providing those descriptions. I'm happy to, and I'm happy to no, give you descriptions yeah. of any other characters on the show if you need. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> um, so I'll start with Rhett and say absolutely not for him. <laughs> um, Ruth, the, like Rudy does not care for the bonding stuff, any of the camp kind of stuff and, you know, bringing the cabin closer together, Rudy has no interest in. Mm-hmm. So I would say he would view Rhett. I think Rhett sounds kind of like Chip wants to be and then just like wasn't able to be I because he right. got so angry so often. I think Chip, Chip is an aspiring Rhett. He's never going to get there, but um, that, that is his ideal of a, of a good counselor. I yeah. Agree. yeah. Yeah. I think Luna, it sounds like potentially could get through to Rudy to some extent um, based on how you've described, because I think she would let him do his own thing. Mm-hmm. Like she would let him, you know, play chess all day and sit by the Creek and listen to his Walkman, mm-hmm. uh, by this, how you describe him. Uh, so yeah, I, I think maybe she's sounds like too positive a person for <laughs> to like really put all his trust in. Mm-hmm. But I think if either of them have a chance, it would definitely mm-hmm. be her. And I think he would, he would have a heart. I think he like takes some satisfaction in like one upping and like making Chip a little bit annoyed and upset. And he sounds like he'd have a tougher time getting Luna to that point, and that might frustrate him to the point where he stopped trying perhaps Mm, interesting yeah i think that's right i'm going to give you two more pieces of information that i didn't want to give you before which i thought might sway you luna was the arts and camps uh, counselor arts and crafts what did i say (laughs) arts and camps arts and crafts counselor so a little pierre connection pierre like arts and crafts people get through to rudy but she does like to say rock on all summer long Oh, it's a deal breaker for Rudy. (laughs) All right, Matt, I unfortunately will now stop talking about bug juice, even though I don't want to. Appreciate the sacrifice. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so now we have three questions from members of our coalition. So just as a reminder, the coalition are people that contributed to our GoFundMe and hit a certain level of support where they were allowed to uh, email us or tweet us a question that we would answer on air, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we're doing now. Perfect. So thank you so much to those to these people that we'll be uh, talking about, and we encourage the rest of you to become coalition members and get your questions answered by two experts on Gordon Corman. Correct. Uh, so I can ask the first one if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is from Hank the Tank. So thanks to Hank. Amazing anonymous choice of name. Yeah, and he didn't even insist on us building a football stadium with his money. He let us use it to go towards a microphone. So exactly. Very kind. What a legend. So his, so his question is, how would you escape from Camp Algonquian and you're not allowed to use any of the methods that Rudy and Mike 
Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an absolutely sensational question. Um, so thank you, Hank. I, I'm just going to think about like me, myself, like not a, not one I think would succeed, but like what I would do. Cause I'm a very big coward. So like, I'm not, and I like to sleep. So there's no way I'm waking up at 4am to steal a boat to cross a lake in the dark to like land in some strange town to find a phone. Like that's not something that I am interested in pursuing. I think I would lean into, um, like the secret message aspect, like trying to get a letter out to my parents. Um, maybe it would be like a, like an acrostic where like I would have like what seemed to be a normal letter, but like the first letter of each line spells oh, like rescue me so or smart. something. Um, I might like the most adventurous I would be would be like maybe sneaking into the office to like try and use the phone or something like that. Um, but it would probably be like trying to get like contact by parents. Or I could use the strategy I used when I was six at camp, which is just to cry all day and then they let you go home. <laughs> it worked almost every time. Oh man, that's so sad. Uh, <laughs> but effective. It was effective. That's a really good answer. I really like the uh, acrostic or like cryptic message in the letter. I think that, mm-hmm. especially like based on who our parents are, um, they I love think puzzles. They would get it. Yeah. Yeah. Those love puzzles. Our dad does uh, cryptic crosswords like mm-hmm. amazingly well, mm-hmm. and our mom is like very good at decoding and words, you know, and words in general. So I think she would pick up on the acrostic if that was the method you chose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, mm-hmm. I'd have a lot of confidence in their ability to crack it. But just yeah. like an FYI, if you ever get a letter from me, just read the first lines in case I'm in trouble and you need to come see me. Yeah, them. I always do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh I man that's like an actual good answer unfortunately well, what's I, yours? I hope yours one. isn't also crying <laughs> <laughs> well so I was I was thinking about it more like what I would do if I was Rudy and oh, okay. sort of like the r- rules of life didn't necessarily apply too closely yeah um, so my thought was if Rudy is as good at baseball and chess and everything else, mm-hmm. if he's so good at that, then he'd also probably be pretty good at making like elixirs and such. <laughs> <laughs> so what I think is he would give like, I call it an elixir. I think is the best word for it, but like, you know, a, a drink uh-huh. medicine or something to all members of his cabin, including Chip. That puts them just in a deep sleep, nothing crazy, just a deep sleep, uh-huh. and transports them in a boat over to the mainland, where he built, using his uh, skills, his building skills that we know he has from building the Salate mm-hmm. and the Tyrak, mm-hmm. um, to recreating uh, his cabin down to the exact detail mm-hmm. that it is... Um, it, it is, you know, at the actual cabin. Mm-hmm. And this is this is not one night. This is over a series of okay. um, nights he does. The first, like, every time he just gives them the deep sleep thing and lets them sleep for so they don't wake up. And he crosses over, builds this. Why he wouldn't just escape then, I just, it's not correct. I was going to ask, but I, I'm sure this plan is, is more elegant. Yeah, so anyway, so then probably by week 
1.5, like 10 days in, mm-hmm. the cabin is complete. Then he gives them a double dose of the elixir, <laughs> brings them over on a boat into the cabin. He's now built, looks exactly like cabin 13, but it's on the mainland. Puts them all in their beds. Then they're all sleeping. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. he, okay, then the next night, yeah. he brings them over again, gives Chip less of the elixir so that chip wakes up as rudy is trying to escape but they're already on the mainland right yeah so he's trying to escape chip captures him as he's like on the lake somewhere halfway across yells at rudy says like nice try trying to escape even though if Mm -hmm. you let him go he would have got back to the actual camp Mm -hmm. so he Mm -hmm. says Mm -hmm. you got to go back to where you came from Yes. So then he sends him there, and then he's already on the mainland, and then he just walks away. Uh, it has a lot of the, like, if you don't like it here, go take a boat and leave kind of loophole sort of stuff going on. Yeah, exactly. Like, he he thinks he's punished him, like, sent him right to... Uh, yeah. yeah, so that's, that oh, is my plan. Okay. Wow, there's a lot of layers to this. <laughs> Um, I, I love the sort of mind gamey type part that I think Rudy would like of the like chip actually tells him to go to the mainland thinking it's the camp. The amount of steps needed to get there. And as you pointed out, the sort of unnecessary element of like, once you have a way to make people sleep and you're (laughs) on the mainland, yeah. That you would then need to transport them there, build a cabin, et cetera, et cetera. Seems unnecessary, but again, like Rudy likes the chase, you know, and he doesn't want it to be too easy. Yeah. Well, let me posit this. Okay. I think yes. that there is an argument to be made that Rudy does not want to escape mm-hmm. in general. Like, not to answer, in answer of this question, yeah, tank, yeah, but yeah. In, in the actual book. Yeah. I think he doesn't really want to escape. I think he just likes the fun. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of proven when he keeps coming back after he's escaped. But even before that, mm-hmm. I would argue like when they get caught with no bailing bucket, it says like he has like a bit of a twinkle in his eye when he says like drats, no bailing bucket. I guess we got to go back or something. Yeah. And uh, I think there's like a couple more spots in the book where you can maybe yeah. see that as an option. Yeah. I mean, there's an argument to be made. Again, the intricacies of your plan, um, I guess, are just um, so beautiful, yet unnecessarily arduous. Um, right, but then it, it also is funny because Chip is going to get in trouble for right. abandoning the camp. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... I want to tell our listeners, because um, Asher and I are, of course, recording this over Zoom, that the as he was telling that um, detailed plan, the sun was sort of like slowly setting. So now he's just like in a dark room in a tank top. And I can like, just barely make out his face. So it made the whole thing seem like way more deranged. Um, and like he was like, you know, plotting. Anyway, just thought I'd give that little detail. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would say Hank the Tank certainly got his money worth with that answer. And I'll leave it there. Okay. What's our next question? (laughs) 
Okay, our next question comes from Claire. So thank you, Claire, so much for your donation and for joining the coalition. Claire wants thank to know, you, um, would Mike and Rudy have a fancy handshake like in The Parent Trap? And if so, what would it be? So Claire, clearly thinking of another great um, camp, what would you call it? Because the other thing's not a movie. To be honest, The Parent Trap plus Bug Juice is definitely how I understand camp. So another window into camp life for us non-campers, I guess one could say. And obviously we're talking about the Lohan version, not the original black and white version of The Parent Trap. It's black and white? No. There's, there's an original. Is it not black and white? Oh, I don't know. Oh, it's Disney like definitely like Haley Mills. Like that's not like super, super long. In my mind, it's black and white and like maybe not, there's not even sound. Okay, anyway. <laughs> that's outrageous. <laughs> that's definitely not true. Um, but we're talking about the Lohan one where there's like the crazy handshake between her and the butler. You know what, you know what we're, we're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so um, tell us what you think Mike and Rudy's handshake would be. So I don't think there would be one. I think Rudy would refuse. Mike would probably try and make one i think that yeah. is <laughs> yeah. something rudy would think is not something he wants to participate in mm. um which is i know a bit of like a lame answer but let's say for argument's sake i guess rudy did want to or did agree to it yeah i think that he would i think because he's so good at everything he wouldn't want to make the handshake he would want to like be the inventor of it like, mm -hmm. and do the invent the moves because they'd be too complicated for Mike to be able to do. Because mm -hmm. it's like very clear that Mike's pretty bad at everything except <laughs> playing guitar, I guess. Uh, but even that, he seems bad because Rudy hates his guitar playing. True. Uh, so I think Mike, he'd say like, "Okay, Mike, you make it so that you can do any of the mm. moves required." So I think it would be for Mike like a very basic like potato man based mm. uh, is that what that's called potato man uh it's like that's what they call it in seinfeld and oh, i think okay. it's funny yeah, uh, yeah but i don't think that's the actual name oh, okay. uh, but i'm going with <laughs> standard potato man because mike okay. is uh, not capable of thinking of anything smart all right strong answer i'm surprised you didn't go for the low-hanging fruit which obviously would have been a solemn handshake oh of course <laughs> of course yes um, I, which is sort of similar to my answer. I agree. Like Rudy would not be into the handshake, but I think he like does try to appease Mike from time to time. And if Mike wanted to, he would be into it. And in that case, I think, so at the end of the parent trap handshake, which is awesome. Is this the uh, black and white, no sound version? Yeah. This or? is the one where it's just stills that you have to look at very quickly in a row. <laughs> um, right. um, so they... They like, there's like a whole intricate thing and then they just like at the end switch sides. Like they both like take a giant step and pivot so that they have switched sides and then they just shake each other's hand. And I think it would be something like that. Like a kind of like a weird move, an untraditional, like mm -hmm. cool guy handshake move. Um, but like something they would both kind of be tickled by. Oh yeah, I like that. That's a great question, Claire. Any um, professional question. handshakers if you want to write in? Yeah, so those Okay, one time I was on the subway, yes, and um, two guys that were certainly friends, um, but you know I didn't know at the time. They <laughs> okay. so at one stop, I forget what stop it was. They started doing a secret handshake, 
mm-hmm. the secret handshake did not stop until the next stop. What? And they like had there was no like clumsiness or thinking of like trying to think of the next move. Mm-hmm. Like this was a handshake they knew. And that's like wow. It wasn't like the one of the longer stops, but even like the shortest stop is a couple minutes. Yeah, that's nuts. And try to think about doing a secret handshake for like two to four minutes. It was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And then they just like got off the subway, like nothing happened. Oh, okay. So that's what I was gonna ask. Did they like look pleased with themselves while it was happening? They were acting like it wasn't a big deal, which yeah. made it so cool. So cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So if you're those one of those two guys, write in. Yeah, write in, please. <laughs> Tell us about the origin story yeah. um, of that one. Our final question from our coalition member is from Anonymous. So thank you for the donation, Anonymous, whoever you may be. Mm-hmm. And their question is, what is it about these books slash Corman's writing and characters that have made you lifelong fans? Great question. A really good question. Thank you very much, Anonymous, for that. This is a soul-searching kind of question. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Um, I can try. I just want to quickly update our listeners to say Asher is in almost complete darkness right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really scary. Yeah, it's pretty spooky to watch your screen. <laughs> anyway. Um, like, you know, I can just see my teeth when I smile. Like, in a little... <laughs> yeah, you look like uh, a ghost a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which is on brand because it's almost Halloween. Uh, okay. I mean, I would say, well, there's kind of two things. It's like his world and his characters that he creates are just like really fun. So it's just like really fun to kind of like hang out in those places with those people. So like whether it's McDonald Hall or Camp Algonquin or whatever else, he's just like really good at creating a world that's like very captivating and like a place I want to be. You know what I mean? So it's like fun to revisit that as opposed to just like I read the book as a kid and now I don't care anymore. Um, I also think there's like something about Corman's writing, which you don't find a lot with children's authors, which is like he doesn't really like write down, if you know what I mean. Like, Oh, you're stealing my exact answer. Well, you invited me to go first. So Keep going. Okay. <laughs> he... It's like his jokes are funny and they're not like kid joke funny. They're just like funny, funny. Um, And I think just in general, he just kind of like respects his reader. And so like, you know, these are like good plots and like well thought out characters and like everything is like pretty well fleshed out for the most part. So in that way, they like stand the test of time. So they are nice books to return to as adults. And it's just like a quality of book, I would say it's just, higher than a lot of modern children's literature. So that's what I would say. And what is the ghost yeah. of Christmas past? <laughs> uh, you you put it really well, and uh, I think you covered a lot of what I would say. Uh, yeah, like the big thing is that as a kid, especially one that liked to read and, you know, we were like, I would say more advanced in our reading than the average person like growing up like we peaked young yeah I would say so like we you know we were looking for books that weren't sort of like kids books Mm. in like a way that a lot of kids books were and so yeah this like 
it, as you said, it didn't talk down to you at all. The jokes were funny, and I think like, we still find them funny. Right, exactly. And uh, yeah, I think a, a lot is true. Like they were happy books that the conflicts were always like relatively minor or like weren't conflicts that like made you upset or yeah. like scared or like anxious or nervous. Yeah. And I think that's like where a lot of the replay value comes in. Uh, it's yeah. I think it's like, reminds me of like some of these, like a show like Shit's Creek or something like mm-hmm. recent like that, where it's just like a world of like good. Yeah. Where, like you don't kind of have to worry about like bad things happening. And even there's no like antagonist in like a true sense where it's like, there's no like evil people, let's say. Right. Exactly. Um, and I think that is. Except Harold Green, but yes, go on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, that is, is very nice uh, to escape to. And yeah. And he's like a, yeah, he's a good writer and his plots are like very clever and they usually come together in like sort yeah. of a, a fun way at the end where he takes like the different threads and puts them all together for like a fun ending and yeah i think for all those reasons that's why it's he's really spoken to us uh for so many years and why we are doing this podcast to begin with mm, beautifully put yeah i really liked your comparison to Shit's creek not just because it's a lot of can con uh-huh. hashtag Canadian content. I think like that idea of like having conflict between um, either like people who like each other against like, not like a good versus evil or just having conflict that arises naturally um, within a world because we have like fully fleshed out characters um, like is a mark of like a lot of fiction that I like that it doesn't need to be some big, like overblown drama or like disaster in every episode it can just be um you know we exist in this world yeah totally all right cormy we love you so much thank you anonymous for that great question it is report card time when we grade the book the report's in <laughs> no, I, I like that a lot, actually. I tried to go for something you would do, which is more like a weird sort of like yeah, monologue slash dialogue slash yeah. sound effect thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I I really responded well to it. Oh, great. <laughs> um, do you want to go first? Yeah, so as promised, I said I was going to stop just doing my normal grades A to F um, for this second season and try I'm to do it more in so spirit of things. Okay, I will say I did the same thing again. I think oh, I messed up another time I tried. <laughs> did you just make a cluster of something at the bottom and a cluster of something at the top and there's no actual scale? No, there's a scale. Which there's is to scale. be clear what but happened. It, like, the scale is based on what we'll have to accept as fact. Okay. So it's based on a ranking of worst to best camp activities. And this oh. is based on... Technically, my opinion, but I think nobody will be allowed to disagree. Oh, this is, I love how it's thematic, but I'm still pretty nervous. Go ahead. Thank you. Okay, so I'm, I'm saying it now from worst to best. Okay? okay, yes. So the first thing I say will be worst. Okay, here we go. Archery. Why Marks would that it. be worst? I already, it's I already so, disagree. You think it's fun and it's not fun. 
It is fun. <laughs> no, you're like always like catching your fingers in the string. It's like flying all over the place. Oh, not is... where you want it to go. It's like not even flying. It's like falling off the thing. Oh you my can't gosh. get it to stay. Is your next <laughs> thing going to be like eating ice cream sundaes or something that's also really great? <laughs> Let me get through the camp okay, activities. Sorry. Then we can <laughs> People think they like archery and they don't. It's okay. All right. You heard it here first. Any, uh, Archery majors, uh, please archery don't write major. in. I think they're called archers, but um, no, those are people. Arch archers are people that perform archery. Yes. Archery majors are those who study, study archery I see. in university as their. Oh, uh, okay. My bad. That's who I'm speaking to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So archers don't even think about writing in. I don't want archers listening to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think that your ranking has taken care of that, if there were any. <laughs> True. Okay. So the ranking. Archery. Arts and crafts. Three-legged race. Campfire. <laughs> okay. Let me get through this, please. This is an insane list. I'm looking at your face. It's making it impossible. So crazy. Arbitrary order. Not, like, not, people not, love not. arts and crafts. People <laughs> love campfires. Arts and crafts why, is not fun. Why is three legged race not good? <laughs> I can't. This is crazy. <laughs> oh, I feel like Mike Webster right now. Oh, okay. Keep going. So, obviously, okay. three legged race above um, arts and crafts, but. Clearly below campfire. Keep going. Yes. Okay. Where did I get up to? Campfire. Campfire. Okay. So after campfire, canoeing. <laughs> Capture the flag. And last or best is color wars. <laughs> I agree. Color wars obviously the best, and anyone who's seen Bug Juice would know that. Thank you. Um. Okay. So clearly a very intuitive, clear scale that you've created here. I think everyone can 100% agree with my rankings, all seven of them, in the correct order. <laughs> and I can explain why for each of them if you want, but I don't know if you want that. Maybe if you can do it really briefly. Okay, archery I explained. It sucks. People think it's cool because you got to shoot arrows, but it's not cool. And it's really boring <laughs> and just awful. Arts and crafts, not a reason to go to camp. You can do that in your home. Uh, Three-legged race, kind of fun because it's a bit unusual, but it's a bit annoying sometimes too. Campfire <laughs> is nice, you know, you sit around it, not bad. I don't really love s'mores though. Canoeing, super fun, I like it a lot, but a bit of a workout, sometimes too much. Also, <laughs> once when I went to camp, not overnight camp, but just like a normal camp, there was canoeing. Um, but on the day of our longest canoe ride, I got a nosebleed right before and I couldn't do it. It was uh. sad, and we never went that far again. Classic ashy story. Shout out to Camp Chimo. <laughs> uh, Capture the Flag, one of my favorite games. Incredible. Just the best. And Color Wars is super fun. And I would recommend it to anyone. Hmm. That's the ranking for you. Okay. Obviously a lot to digest, but we can't get into this any further. But I'm really looking forward to your future scales if this is any indication of this how is, you think this, is... this should work. <laughs> the iceberg here folks so write right in tell me how you think of the scale uh okay so i would rank it if you recall the ranking i just gave yeah who could forget I, it i, I want to go home fits squarely in the capture the flag holy box. moly yeah 
that is the second, second highest. from the highest. Yes, and um, when you see the picture of what we tweeted of the book condition of our book, you'll see like how much we read it as kids. And so it's possible some of this high ranking like oozes off from uh, like fond memories of reading it. Mm. Uh, but I will say that in addition, I found it very fun. Um, I think Rudy is a great main character. He's like very complex um, and he's interesting. And as like someone that enjoys playing sports, I like always liked the part like where he's really good at sports and the whole day when he's the camp director is like super fun, a lot of fun action sequences, mm -hmm. some very funny lines. Mm -hmm. As I said, like I like Chip's antics and foibles uh, quite a bit. So that was really good. Um, the reason it didn't maybe get the color wars mark is especially the first like 60 pages or so, or it's a little bit repetitive. It's just like them trying to escape, getting foiled, trying to escape, getting foiled. Um, so like until he shows that he's like good at sports, it's like not that much is going on. Um, you also never really get into Rudy's head for why he is like this. Mm. Uh, the closest we get is Pierre almost revealing it, as we said, but then it getting stopped. Yeah. Um, it's like, like couldn't I, come up with an answer, so he's just like, ah, oh, forget this. <laughs> that's what I kind of think. Yeah. Because even like Mike says at one point, like he doesn't understand Rudy, and that's why he thinks they're friends. Mm. Which is like kind of fits what I was saying before about like you know Rudy's just being Rudy and like yeah, nothing yeah. changes that. But yeah, as you said, it's like kind of a cop out for like not actually giving a reason because maybe it just doesn't actually make a lot of sense, mm -hmm. um, or there's like no good reason. So those were like a bit, couple, you know, more negatives. But overall, I really did like it. Um, I will. I'll, I meant to say this before, but I forgot, so I'll just say it quickly now. Is after the first time I read this, like when I was very young, it inspired me to write a book about camp uh, myself, which I called Camp Blues. <laughs> which, and it was, I only got about four or five pages in, but like written out on lined paper pages. So like a That's decent a amount. Yeah. Um, and I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I still had it, but I looked in every possible place it could be and unfortunately it doesn't seem like it survived over the years but correct um, me if i'm wrong but it was sort of like a almost direct knockoff of i want to go home almost a complete knockoff <laughs> pretty much exactly the same with like little bits i think stolen from mcdonald hall books yeah. so uh yeah so if you if you find it somewhere out there, uh, please please write in. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is my report card review. Sorry that took so long. No, kind of went off the rails for a bit. That was absolutely brilliant and um, literally impossible to follow. But now I have to. Um, okay, so my scale I would say is certainly um, less interesting and um, controversial. Again. Um, I have chosen to do a, is it Maslow or Maslow's hierarchy Maslow, of needs? Yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs scale. Nice. So this is um, something that is more set in stone, I would say, than your scale. And some might argue, therefore, makes it kind of a clearer thing to use. But, you know, to each their own, I suppose. Agree to disagree. Sure. 
So um, my scales goes from the bottom to the top. And for those who don't know, the hierarchy of needs is kind of like a pyramid. So the most basic needs are at the bottom because they are like sort of like the biggest things that you need and then moving towards the top. And so for the purposes of this scale, the more basic the need is, the lower the ranking. Got it. Okay. So starting at the bottom, we have your physiological needs, your food, your water, your sleep. Then next we have safety needs. That's like your personal security. Then we have belongingness and love, like friends, family, podcast hosts. Then we have your esteem needs. That's like self-respect, accomplishment, like when you get a nice rating on iTunes. And then at the top of the pyramid is self-actualization, which is when you achieve your potential, like when you start your Gordon Corman podcast, I guess. So um, you're not going to love this potentially, but I'm giving kind of a low rating. And to be honest, I... I'm coming in a lot lower than I anticipated I would um, when I began on this reread. I hadn't reread the book in a long time. So I'm going to give it a safety needs, which is second from the bottom. Oh my goodness. I really felt like all the attempts to steal the boat were so tiresome that it just <laughs> felt like so repetitive. I like couldn't take it anymore when he was like, another day we're stealing another boat. It was just like so much. Um, obviously, if there had been elixirs involved, it would have been a different story. Yeah, um, sequel. As you said, I really, really love the sports parts when like Reese read sports for no reason. And I really love the camp director for a day parts. And I really wish that there had been more of that variety throughout. Those are kind of like the two shining moments for me and the camp and the letter home the first time. Aside from, like, I don't even think the dance is that fun. Like, I don't, I'm just, like, not, it was just, like, a little bit, I don't know, kind of, like, bland, tiring, repetitive to me. I also didn't love that this universe is, like, a little bit mean. Like, we had talked about um, at the Madonna Hall universe being so nice, like, the Craig Trolley's just, like, you know, like, even the quote-unquote villain is just, like, a super nice guy. Um, so the, like feud between like Harold, Mike and Rudy and even like Chip sometimes is just like really mean. Um, so like, I don't, I don't come to Corman for that kind of a vibe. And I kind of forgot that part of the book and I didn't really like Rudy that much. To oh, be honest. Like I really wanted to like him. I do agree that he's like a complex um, character, but I just found him like a little bit too much. Like he was like a little bit too mean, like a little bit too like, self-absorbed he's no bruno let's say that he's no bruno no he's no bruno so yeah i mean i'm not happy about it either but that's, that's interesting a lot of a lot of people on twitter were saying this was their favorite or one of their favorites growing up so yeah. i'm curious uh curious what kind of feedback you get yeah well i mean again like i re i read it a bunch as a kid and i remember loving it and i really was so excited to reread it because i hadn't reread it in a long time and i was like super anticipating a high rating but i was disappointed yeah that's fair no the points you make are uh, very fair actually all right so uh see you at the three-legged race <laughs> Time for our final segment, Our Man Corman, where we tweet Corman live on the air. 
Our man, his name is Gordon. His middle name we don't know, but his last name is Corbin tonight. Hold for applause. <laughs> Terrific. Thank you, thank you. Thank uh, you. So, Gordon, if you want to write in and uh, tell us your middle name, that would be mm. great. Or Gordon's parents or whoever else might know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, okay, we have a tweet prepared here that we're going to send to Gordon Corman right now. So do you want to tell us what that tweet is? It goes a little something like this. Hey, at Gordon Corman, recording our I Want to Go Home episode. We want to know, did Rudy come back for another summer at Camp Algonquian? Hashtag Salate. You ready? I'm going to hit tweet. All right, it's gone. Your tweet was sent. And that is our first episode of our second season. Pretty wild. Yeah, thanks for anyone that's still listening. Uh, I know we went quite a long time. Uh, there's lots to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since uh, we chatted about Corman books. So nice to be with you again and talking about it and talking about I Want to Go Home. For sure. And thanks again to those who have donated to our GoFundMe. Remember that link is on our Twitter. Our next episode if i'm not mistaken we are reading our man weston is that right i believe that is correct and i know a certain podcast host who is very excited about this episode this is why i wanted to start the podcast in the first place was to get to this book so something to look forward to so be prepared for a six-hour podcast. Yeah, it's going to be a lengthy one. Ashley's going to go very in-depth. Is this your most read book of your life, would you say? Um, I don't think it is, only because I got it a little bit later than our McDonald Hall ones. Mm, okay. um, yeah. So I think probably not. But it's up there. But it's up there for sure. Um, all right. Well, I can't wait for that one. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Zucchini Warpod. And obviously, we've put out a lot of questions that are going to need some answers from uh, all you lawyers and archery majors and all of that. And if you want to follow our personal accounts, I am at Shira Lurie, S-H-I-R-A-L-U-R-I-E. Ashy is something. What are you? At I think Ashley. I'm just at Asher Lurie. There you go. Um, so give us a follow there if you like. And thanks again for listening. We are so happy to be back for season two. And And for donating to our GoFundMe. And for donating to our GoFundMe. And uh, for all that you wonderful people do to make a fun corner of the internet for us Corman fans. So try and get your hands on a copy of Our Man Weston and be sure to read it. But if your copy is in the trash while you're searching for it, and you smell something bad, beware Beware the the fish. fish. I knew I shouldn't have been the one to do it. It wasn't as smooth as you. (laughs)